Good morning and welcome to Hoffman Town Church. We appreciate that wonderful music by Matthew West today. We're so glad that you're joining us and it looks like there might be about three more weeks of this uh, streaming, but it's good to be able to come into your home or wherever you are today listening. It was on March the 1st that David Hopkins, the worship leader here at Hoffman Town, brought a message entitled, Bringing in the Harvest. And he challenged the Hoffman Town members to start thinking about witnessing and loving and praying for and sharing the gospel with people who do not know Jesus Christ. Last Sunday, I brought a message on what it means to be lost. And we looked at Paul in Ephesians 2 and verse 12, and simply it says this, trying to remind the Ephesian believers what it was like before they were born again, before they became sons of God. He said they were Christless, they were homeless, they were promiseless, they were hopeless, and they were without God. Five very descriptive sentences, statements, words that describe lostness. Today I want to follow with a message that I call Loving the Lost. This message is particularly, specifically, to those of us who know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. Since we have found the bread, we're kind of like beggars telling other people where the bread is. The bread of life, Jesus. So today join me please as I'm going to be reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 17 through 23. That's Mark 10, verses 17 through 23. The Lord Jesus Christ has a young man come running to him. We call this the rich young ruler. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. Teacher, he declared, All these I have kept since I was a boy. Please notice very carefully verse 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Jesus looked at him and loved him. There is a song. I'm sure you've heard it somewhere in the past. It's simply entitled, People Need the Lord. Here are the words. Every day they pass me by. I can see it in their eyes. Empty people filled with care, headed who knows where. On they go through private pain, living fear to fear. Laughter hides their silent cries. Only Jesus hears. People need the Lord. 
People need the Lord. At the end of broken dreams, He's the open door. People need the Lord. People need the Lord. When will we realize people need the Lord? We're called to take His light to a world where wrong seems right. What could be too great a cost for sharing Christ with one who's lost? Through His love our hearts can feel all the grief they bear. They must hear the words of life only we can share. People need the Lord. People need the Lord. At the end of broken dreams, He's the open door. People need the Lord. People need the Lord. When will we realize that we must give our lives? For people need the Lord. People need the Lord. It's a horrible condition to be without the Lord. To not know God personally, inwardly. To have never experienced a new birth, a conversion, salvation, eternal life in the Lord Jesus. And as the song has said, they're all around us. Everywhere we look, there are lost people. In fact, there are about 7.6 billion people in the world. That's B. Billion, 7.6 billion, the world population. They tell us that 5.8 billion of those people do not know God. They do not know the true and the living God. They have never invited Jesus Christ through confession of sin, repentance of sin. They've never invited Him into their hearts and let Him be their personal Lord and Savior. There are 1.6 billion people who have never heard the name of Jesus Christ. They couldn't call upon Him because they don't know who He is. They do not know Jesus at all, not even His name. Our Lord Jesus Christ loves lost people. He said to Zacchaeus, I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. That's why He's here. That was His mission. Seek and save the lost. He said, I've come to give my life and to give it a ransom for many. Sometimes, even as believers, we get caught up in thinking that, well, he has a religion. Uh, she's a very high moral, decent person of excellent integrity. Uh, surely they don't need the Lord. They look like they have life. They have it by the handle and everything's going smooth. But we want to keep in mind that every single person, regardless of their status in life, need the Lord. Over in the book of Acts, there's a wonderful example of a man that uh, had character and morals, but still we know that uh, he is lost. In Acts chapter 10, beginning with verse 1, at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what is known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. That's a pretty good testimony. It says the family was devout. They were sincere in their commitment in believing that there is a God. 
They were God-fearing. That is, they reverenced God. And also, it says that he gave generously to those in need. He had a, a heart for the poor, a heart for people who struggled. And it says he prayed regularly. But as we go through Acts chapter 10, we discover something. He wasn't saved, nor his family. They did not know God in that personal relationship. God sent Peter over to Cornelius' house to tell him the gospel. And when he heard the gospel, the scripture says, the Holy Spirit came upon them. The whole family was saved, and then they were baptized. So when we see people that seem to be of high moral, good character, we want to keep in mind, do they have Jesus? In fact, we need to develop a mindset. And the mindset is this. Every time that you look at a person, maybe it's your next door neighbor, maybe it's the people where you work, or maybe it's where you buy groceries or where you go to get your hair cut fixed, we need to stop and think every time we see someone lost or saved, sheep or goat, wheat or tare, son of God, son of Satan, heaven or hell, because everyone falls into one of those two categories. And those who do not have Jesus, we know are lost. Somebody needs to love them. Somebody needs to care about them. So I want to challenge all of us today, starting with yours truly. Do I really, do we really love lost people? It's critical. Because if we're not going to love them as disciples of the Lord Jesus, who is going to love them and their soul and their eternal destiny? It's going to fall, dear friend, upon you and upon me to love lost people. Let's notice three things today about love for the lost. First of all, love is always a choice. It is always a choice. We choose to love lost people. In fact, every relationship of life that is a love relationship, it's a choice relationship. A husband loves his wife just as much as he chooses to, or she loves her husband just as much as she chooses to. Parents love their children just as much as that choice is. The Bible says we're to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we're to love our neighbor like we love ourselves. So our neighbor, we know, that's any person, red and yellow, black and white, and brown because they forgot to write it down, are precious in God's sight. So every human being is our neighbor, and we must choose to love them like we love ourselves, and especially we need a hot heart. We need a flowing river of love towards those who are, are Christless. They're lost. And when they die, they are going to perish. When Jesus looked at this rich young ruler who came running to him, this young man fell on his knees before Jesus. He realized there was something special about him. But we notice about in the middle of the whole conversation, that verse 21 jumps out and says, Jesus looked at him 
and he loved him. So the question is this, have we made the choice? Are we keeping it fresh, updated in our love, our compassion, our passion for lost people to come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior? That's a choice we have to make. Not only do we choose to love lost people, we choose not to love lost people. You say, now, wait a minute, Claude, and I'm not sure that's an accurate statement. Yeah, I think it is. Because there are some lost people that we just don't really care a lot about. Sometimes uh, they have a different skin color, maybe a little accent, strange accent compared to ours. Uh, maybe uh, they're hooked on drugs. Uh, maybe from their mouth there flows constantly verbal sewage. And, and we don't like that. We don't like profanity. We don't like people that, uh, you know, kind of live in the gutter of life. Sometimes these people don't smell good. They haven't bathed for some time or they do not have good hygiene habits. And so we just kind of brush them off. We look the other way. We don't have any time for them. That's bad. Because when I look at the Lord Jesus Christ, I notice that He loved all people. It didn't matter the color of their skin, Jew or Gentile. It did not matter male or female. It did not matter whether they were up and out or down and out. The Lord Jesus Christ looked at every person individually and uh, He made a choice. He loved them. So I ask us, have we made the choice to love? Have we made a choice not to love some people? Made a choice maybe not to take the time or the effort, exert the energy that it takes to work with, the, with a person who does not know God, cannot get a grip on eternity, heaven and hell, looking for the truth, trying to find the right path. Sometimes it takes some time to be able to reach out to a person like that. I pray that Hoffmantown Church will be that church of a great love for lost people. I know there are many people in this church. I know a lot of people in this church. And I know there are a lot of people in this church that do have a real heart for lost people to come to Jesus. Reminds me of an illustration. I read this a long time ago in the city of Chicago on a cold winter blistery day. It was a Sunday. A little lad, poorly clothed. You could tell he was poor. He stepped into this little business place, big pot-bellied coal stove burning. He walked up to it and held his hands back and warmed his hands and rubbed them. And the owner of the store looked at him and said, My lad, where are you going on this cold morning? And he said, I'm going to Moody Church. And the man thought a moment said, Where do you live? He told him, he said, You've come a long ways to get here and you've still got a pretty good ways to go to get to Moody Church. You've passed several churches. Why are you going to Moody Church? And the little fellow looked up and said, because they love little boys like me at the Moody Church. But that be said always of Hoffmantown Church. 
that we love all people. So be sure that you have made that choice. Love is always a choice. Be sure that you have made that choice to love lost people. There's an old hymn that says what we need to do. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying, snatch them in pity from sin and the grave. Weep o'er the erring one, lift up the fallen, tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. Though they are slighting him, still he is waiting, waiting the penitent child to receive. Plead with them earnestly, plead with them gently. He will forgive if they only believe. Down in the human heart, crushed by the tempter, feelings lie buried that grace can restore. Touched by a loving heart, wakened by kindness, cords that are break, broken will vibrate once more. Rescue the perishing, duty demands it. Strength for thy labor, the Lord will provide. Back to the narrow way, patiently win them. Tell the poor wanderer, a Savior has died. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save. Let's be sure, fellow believers, that we have made a choice to rescue the perishing. There is a second thing that we want to notice today about love for the lost. All people need God's love. All people need God's love. The down and out need God's love. And there are a lot of homeless people around. There are a lot of poor people around. There are a lot of just totally spiritually bankrupt. As we said in the very opening, people need the Lord. All people. All the folks that have not yet come to Jesus. They need the Lord. So when I think about the down and out, I look again at the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. He ministered to lepers. They were outcasts. Whenever someone came close to them, they had to start crying out, unclean, unclean, unclean. But yet Jesus went to the lepers and He touched the lepers. I wonder, do we care for those that are unclean? Maybe they're not lepers. But their whole character, their life is unclean. Do we still have time to give them a tender touch? I see Jesus sitting at a well. And a lady comes to draw water. She's been married five times. The shortest journey in her life is from courthouse to courtship. Courtship to the courthouse. She made five round trips. And she finally said, it's not worth it. And so she just lived with a guy. And uh, Jesus talked to her about drinking water that should never thirst again. She was an outcast, a nobody. Folks didn't want to fellowship with her. But Jesus had time to tell her about a drink of eternal water that would satisfy her, not just in the here and the now, but in the sweet by and by. I see a young lady being brought before Jesus 
and the men are dragging her there. And they say, uh, we found her in the very act of adultery. So we know what the law says. We take her outside the city gates and we stone her to death. And uh, Jesus began to write on the ground. Have you ever wondered what he was writing on the ground? I wonder if he was writing some of the other Ten Commandments. Besides, thou shalt not commit adultery. Maybe he was writing, uh, honor your father and your mother. Maybe he was writing, do not bear false witness or do not covet. Maybe he wanted them to think about some of the other things. We don't know what he was writing. But anyway, he said, let him without sin cast the first stone. And nobody bent down to find a stone. Gradually, one by one, they left. And only the two, the adulterous woman and Jesus, remained. And he said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way and don't make sin the practice of your life. He had time for her. As a sidelight, have you ever wondered where the man was? Why did they just bring the woman? Why didn't they bring the man? It seems like that they were thirsty, maybe just to stone somebody to fulfill part of the law. But we know that Jesus looked at her and gave her a brand new start on life, gave her a new life. That's who Jesus really is. Regardless of how low a person may have sunk in life, there's an old saying, he loves them from the uttermost to the guttermost. And that's how we're to love people. We're to love those who are truly down and out. But we're also to love those that are up and out. Up and out. And there are a lot of people in our society that are like that. They have degrees. They may have three or four degrees. They have doctor's degrees. Uh, they live in fine homes and drive the best cars. They go to the best stores and buy their meat and their groceries. And uh, they go to the high-class clothing stores and purchase all their clothing to wear. You look at them and they say, oh, they've got life made. Life couldn't be any better for them because just look at them. Position, prestige, power, plenty. They've got it all. But we need to keep in mind that the soul on the inside, whether it's someone in the gutter or if it's someone living in a mansion on a mountaintop, if that soul is empty and has never experienced Jesus, that is an empty, bankrupt life. When I look at the Scripture, I can see some of these people that are up and out. And I see Jesus' relationship to them. I think about Zacchaeus. Of course, nobody cared for him because he was a tax collector for the Roman government. And whatever he could charge above that which was required, he got to pocket. And evidently, he had done a good job of filling his pockets. But he came down the tree that day when Jesus invited him down. And he invited Jesus to his house. And at his house, Zacchaeus experienced Christ as his Savior. It turned him inside out and upside down. Right side up, he got right with God because he took Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. And he told Jesus, he said, that which I've taken from people falsely, I've literally robbed them in collecting taxes and pocketed, I'm going to give back 
four times. That which I have taken. He found Jesus as his personal Savior. A lot of people have religion. They've got all kinds of religion. We looked at uh, Cornelius already this morning in the book of Acts. Here was a man that his family was devout. And they were God-fearing and gave to the poor and prayed regularly. And he was a captain in the Italian regiment. He had a position. He had authority. He had power. He had religion. But he didn't have Christ. He didn't know the Savior. And the Scripture tells us that when the Holy Spirit came into his life, that of his family, that immediately they began to praise God. Praise God. Scripture says, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? So to have everything means really uh, if you don't have Jesus, you don't have anything. Because He is the way and the truth and the life. So let's keep in mind that every person needs Jesus. Whether they're down and out or whether they're up and out. If they're outside the kingdom then they're outside of heaven for eternity. They're outside of the abundant life that they could be living every day. There is a third thing that I want us to notice. Some people will reject God's love. Some people will reject God's love. When I look at the rich young ruler should have said this in the last point that we were looking at because he had everything. For one thing, he had health. Scripture says that uh, he came running to Jesus. Uh, he had respect. He got on his knees before Jesus. We know that he was rich. He had authority. And yet the Scripture says that when Jesus gave him the challenge what he needed to do, that he needed to sell all of his goods and take his money and give it to the poor and come and follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Be a disciple of Jesus. Not one of the twelve, but to be a disciple, a follower, a learner of Jesus. The scripture says he was very sorrowful. He went away because he was very rich. So I look at this young man and reminded of some others in the scripture when we present the gospel, we want to keep in mind that not every person is going to accept Jesus Christ. So take this thought and please don't forget it. We as believers must never be indifferent to people's indifference. Because there will be people that will express an indifference towards the gospel towards the cross, the empty tomb, towards Jesus Christ. They'll show an indifference that the rich young ruler did. He just couldn't. Uh, actually, you know, his, he didn't possess his riches. His riches possessed him. Had an iron grip on his life and he could not break it to follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. There were two thieves who died on the cross with Jesus. Early in the crucifixion, the scripture says both of these thieves railed on him. They cursed him. They said, if you're really the Christ, get yourself down and get us down. But in that six-hour period, probably starting when Jesus said, looking at the crowd, 
Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. One of the two thieves began to weigh everything that Jesus said. Towards the end of the crucifixion, he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said today, we'll sit down together in the Father's house. Today you'll be with me in paradise. There's not one word from the other thief. Not one word. He heard the same thing. He was dying with the same Christ. But it appears that one thief responded and the other thief did not respond. Over in the 11th chapter of John, Jesus is standing at the tomb of Lazarus and He says, roll away the stone. And remember the sister Martha said, He's been dead for four days, Lord. He's a real stinker. And uh, He said, roll away the stone. And he cried out, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus walked out of the tomb. Jesus said, take all of the burial clothes off of him and let him go. And the Scripture says that some of the people who saw that believed. And the Scripture says that there was a group of people there that they took off immediately to go tell the religious leaders what had happened. In spite of seeing a four-day dead man walk out of the tomb, all they could think about was getting the message to those that they knew wouldn't like what had happened. So sometimes we present the gospel and uh, very few people are saved the first time they ever hear the gospel. So I want us to keep in mind that when we share the gospel, sometimes we're planting the seed. And that's so important. It's so important to plant the seed. And sometimes after we have planted the seed, uh, we're praying, Father, put someone in that individual's path, life, that can water the seed. And somebody will come along and water the seed. And then somebody come along and cultivate the seed. And uh, somewhere down the road, hopefully someone will harvest the seed. Now some people are saved. Some people are saved the first time they ever hear the gospel. They are saved, but that's not always the norm. So I want us to keep in mind, be a planter, be a waterer, be a cultivator. Just be faithful in sharing the good news. Let the Holy Spirit work. Let God in His timing be able to draw this person right to the very foot of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to keep in mind, we don't want to be indifferent to people's indifference. Also, we want to keep this in mind. Don't ever stop loving those who refuse God's love. I often wonder about the rich young ruler we have looked at today. I wonder, somewhere down the road, maybe he saw the crucifixion. Possible. Maybe he heard about the resurrection. Could have. We don't know. I know an argument from silence is a weak argument. I know that. But still I can't help but wonder. Somewhere down the road, did he really say, yes, he is the Messiah. He is God's Son. He is the man of truth. I'm going to give away my riches. I'm going to go follow him. Maybe he became part of the early church. But let's just keep this in mind. I don't believe Jesus ever stopped loving him. 
When verse 21 says, in that conversation, Jesus looked at him and loved him, I don't think Jesus ever quit loving him. My granddaddy was not a Christian. My father's father, his wife was a very devout Christian, my grandmother. And uh, I know she went to church as a little boy many times when I was living her with her at different times because of schooling. My dad had a sawmill down at Magdalena and couldn't get to school, so I lived in Albuquerque with her. And, and I know that she always prayed for him, prayed for him, prayed for him. Forty years she prayed for him. And his mother died. And his mother said, Son, I'm going to go to heaven and I want you to meet me there. And that's what it took. My granddaddy became, granddaddy became a Christian at the age of 60. After 40 years of a devout, godly woman praying for him, witnessing to him, loving him. He got to live to be 89, 29 more years. He became a deacon, sang in the choir, led children's choirs, taught a Sunday school class. But it was a 40-year process for my grandmother. So please accept the truth. Don't ever quit loving those who refuse the love of God. The day can easily come that they will say, yes, yes, I do want to take Him as my personal Savior. I want to mention one more hymn to you. I love the hymns because they speak so clearly. Listen to this one. Lord, lay some soul upon my heart and love that soul through me. And may I bravely do my part to win that soul for Thee. Lord, lead me to some soul in sin and grant that I may be imbued with power to love and to win that soul, dear Lord, for Thee. To win that soul for Thee alone will be my constant prayer. That when I've reached my heavenly home, I'll meet that dear one there. Some soul for thee, some soul for thee. This is my earnest plea. Help me each day on life's highway to win some soul for thee. There's an illustration from my past that fits right here. In 1970, I pastored the Calvary Baptist Church in Lubbock, Texas. We had a challenge to get a group of people and to go on an airplane that took about 165 people from the Panhandle in West Texas to Japan to spend two weeks witnessing, sharing the faith. 21 other people from Calvary Baptist Church joined me, 22 of us, went to the northern island of Hokkaido in the beautiful city of Sapporo to a little Baptist church, the Shiro Ishi Baptist Church. I'll never forget that. They had a little Japanese pastor. He was about five feet four. He might maybe weighed 120 pounds, named Kobayashi. And that week he interpreted for me. He could speak excellent English, and he interpreted for me. We had our testimonies in English on one side and Japanese on the other. We had the track Peace with God with English on one side and Japanese on the other. And we went into the hospitals and the schools and the prisons and everywhere we could go sharing the gospel, sharing our testimony. And that week, little church 
had uh, 80 members, and when the week was over, they had 80 new members. We doubled the church. God doubled the church in that one week. On that last Sunday night, they had a cookout for us. I can still see those charcoal burners and uh, that thin meat and those vegetables and the soy sauces. Those men were cooking that meal. Oh, it was good. I tell you, it was so good it'd make you hug your mother-in-law. It was really, really good. Kobayashi, who had interpreted and gone with me witnessing that week, was stretched out on one of the uh, benches out there, and I looked at him and I said, Kobayashi, did you grow up in a Christian home? And he said, oh no, Kone Sensei. He called me that all week, Kone Sensei. I hope it didn't. I hope that didn't say cone dumbbell, but someone said it meant teacher. So he said, uh, no, no, no. He said, my parents are still Buddhist, strong Buddhist, over close to Tokyo. I said, how in the world did you become a Christian? This is what he said. He said, I was a student. I was a junior in college at a university near Tokyo. I was doing undergraduate degree, preparing to go to law school. And said, this American Baptist missionary woman came to our campus. I said, I learned later, she was called a student worker. And said, she'd come over to the sub where we would be uh, having uh, cold drinks. And she'd help us with our English. And we all wanted to learn how to speak English. And said, she would say, uh, this is a verb, this is a noun. And then always before she finished, it was Jesus. It was Jesus. He said she invited us into her home. She fried chicken and she mashed potatoes and she made peach cobbler and said these are American dishes. And said we just would eat there and she'd help us with our English and always it was Jesus at the end, Jesus. And he said, I got to thinking one day, I'm going to be a lawyer, so I'm going to start refuting her presentation. I'm going to tear it down. And so he said, I tried to prepare myself and said when she'd bring up Jesus and I'd try to refute what she was saying. Then Kobayashi, he sat up on the bench. His lips began to quiver. He looked at me and he said, Kone Sensei, there came a day that I thought I could refute her presentation, but I could not conquer her love for my soul. My dear people, that's been 50 years ago. But I've never forgotten that. I could not conquer her love for my soul. I want to challenge every believer out there, if you know Jesus, make a choice today to love lost people. Get you a list. I, I pray from a prayer journal, and my first page is lost people. I've got about, I don't know, 25, 26 lost people in there. Some of them I've been praying for for 14, 15 years. But you need a list. You need names. And you need to love them. You need to choose to love them. It doesn't matter their status of life, how many degrees they have or don't have. I just want you to know lost people. Know them by name. Pray for them. Love them. When you have opportunity, share the gospel with them. Don't do it harshly. Don't cram it down their throats. Share it with love, tenderness, the hope that's within you. Share that 
with them. And if you're here today, I mean, excuse me, you're not here, but if you're listening today, you're streaming with us today, and you don't know Jesus, you're lost, separated from God, I want you to pray a prayer with me. Pray it from your heart. Pray it to the Lord Jesus, not to me. I'm just a man. But Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Pray this to Him. Dear Jesus, I know I am a sinner. Forgive me of my sin. I turn away from a sin-style life. Lord Jesus, come and live in my heart. By faith, I receive You as my Savior and my Lord. Thank You for saving me. In Jesus' name, Amen. If you prayed that prayer, contact Hoffman Town Church. I just pray that the, through the... Maybe there's a phone number on the screen there or email. Just let somebody know here. May God help all of us who know Jesus, starting with me, including you, have a love for the lost. God bless you.